Have, uh, have you ever been asked by a child a, uh, a question that made you think more deeply about like something you often take for granted? Here are just a, a few examples as you, as you think of your own, a few examples from kids I've encountered in my life. Why are there hungry people in the world? Like, isn't there enough food for everybody? These may or may not be my own children. I'll just put that out there. Why do we have two cars when some people don't have any? Why didn't God send more than one Jesus if we didn't get it right the first time? As an aside, if you have a good answer for a kid for that one, please let me know. I think I left that one hanging with that kiddo. Right? Why questions from a four-year-old, for those of you who have been parents, why questions from a four-year-old can drive you crazy, but one of the things you know as a parent is that it's part of the learning process. Those why questions are so important as, as those four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds are, are discovering and, and want to know more and want to look deeper at the world around them. Why questions have this power, right, to, to make us look more deeply Sometimes at things we think we already know to, to see kind of deeper and, and below the surface. So, so our, our question this month as we enter into Advent is what, what happens if we, if we take that approach and we look just a little deeper at some of the traditional Advent and, and Christmas scriptures? What if we go to those and we just ask some of the searching questions that we ask in our face sometimes? What what might happen if we look at these passages that some of us know well, those of us who've been in the church for years, we, we, some of these we, ha- we know by heart. What would happen if we, if we just dig a little deeper? That's our plan as we approach Christmas. So let me ask, are you ready to get in touch with your inner four-year-old and just start asking, asking why questions? Why must God be mysterious? That's our question for today. Let's, uh, let's pray. Holy God, speak to us in these moments. Open our our very souls to your word for us today. Expand our minds. Fill our hearts with your love. Lord, in and through your word, send us as your church to proclaim your word to your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what does God look like? You ever, you ever think about that? Like, if I said, what does God look like, and ask you just to get an image in your head, I want you to do this right now. What, what does God look like? Pull, pull the image. When you picture God, what comes into your mind and then I just invite you to a show of hands. How many people had an image similar to this? So how many of you uh, think about like this image on the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's God on the Sistine Chapel? How many of you, for, for you, this image of God comes, comes into your mind when you think about God? A handful of people. All right, what, what about this one? How many of you think, uh, think when you think about God, you think uh, of Morgan Freeman? 
Or, or maybe you didn't, you didn't see this picture, but you heard his voice as the voice of God. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest here as your pastor. Uh, when I uh, get to heaven and, and sit down at the heavenly banquet with God, if his voice doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman's, I'm going to be just a little bit disappointed. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get over that in a hurry, but, but I, it's just that there's something about that voice, right? Um, and I should pause here and note, how many of you, uh, actually, another generation back, it's not Morgan Freeman, but uh, because your mind is already set on uh, George Burns from Oh God, You're Dead. So, you're right, God is a cigar-smoking guy for you. Any, anybody with this, uh, this image of God? What about, what about this one? What about this image of God? This comes from the book and the movie The Shack. Did this image come to mind for, uh, for any of you? And... Uh, and what about this image of the traditional Jesus or one like it, right? Sometimes, sometimes for us, it's, it's this image of Jesus that, that comes to mind when we think about God. Now, I just want to say there's no reason to worry. What, whatever your image of God is, that's okay. That's where our mind goes. There isn't a, a right or wrong answer here. The truth is, the truth is we don't know, right? I mean, the, the Bible gives us these, these glimpses, and we know like a God of wonder and, and majesty, and, and there are all these all these symbolic images, but, but we don't just get a description of like, what, is, what does God really look like? It's a mystery to us. But are we okay with that mystery? Or, or if we're honest with ourselves, would we really rather have kind of a clear image to use as, as we think about God? Right? Are we open to, to mystery? Are we open to God just being beyond anything we can picture or imagine? Or, or would we kind of like to know exactly what to expect when we think about God? I showed the picture from The Shack a little while ago. Did any of you read the book The Shack? It's, a, it's an older book now. It's been out a, a, a number of years. In the book, there's a man, and it's fine if you didn't read it. There's a man, he's, he's deeply grieving the murder of his daughter, and uh, he goes out into the wilderness where he has this, uh, this encounter with the Trinity, uh, the three expressions of God. And uh, he meets them as he's, as he's trying to deal with his anger and as he's trying to seek some kind of healing in his, in his life. And what caught the attention of everyone who, who read the book or then a number of people also saw the movie, a movie adaptation a few years later, were these images of God in this story. Right? God appears to the distressed man in the, in the image of a, of a black woman. And then the Holy Spirit appears as a, as a graceful, almost ethereal woman. It's like wispy in the movie. And then Jesus appears as well, and, and Jesus is, well, as Jesus is almost always portrayed in movies, I call this Hollywood Jesus, like, like the, the strapping young Jesus look. Uh, not sure why. Not too long after the movie came out, I was having a uh, conversation with a Christian friend about the movie, and he asked me as, as we were talking about the movie, he said, were you okay with how the Trinity was portrayed in the movie? And I, I said to him, I'm like, I know what you're getting at, and I was so excited because I was expecting to have this conversation about how a movie that sort of stretched our ideas of and an images of God through the, through the images of, of God and, and the Holy Spirit also sort of got boxed into to this Hollywood Jesus look. And I was all ready to, to talk with my friend about, 
about, you know, how, how does that creativity work and why couldn't they imagine Jesus as looking anything like that one version of Jesus we have in the movies? And uh, it really comes from Italian Renaissance views of Jesus. And, and my friend, like, completely shocked me with what he said next. He, he said, why would they portray God as a black woman? And I was taken aback. I was, I was taken aback first. I was like, wait, did you not read the book? Like, did you not? And he hadn't read the book, by the way. Um, but then it's like, why, why would you ask that question? What portrayal did, did you want, I thought in, in my head? Like, was, is there racism underneath this comment? Like, it, I just... I just paused there, and, and I admit I was judgmental in that moment, and, and I was so thankful because then we got to dive in a little deeper and have this, have this conversation. I mean, I was sitting here thinking, I love this image of God as a, as a loving and motherly and enthusiastic woman who's a great cook. It's like, I, that's, a, that's an image of God I can, I can work with. Um, I, can, I can want to meet that God, sit down for a meal. So I asked him, I said, so what portrayal of God did you want? And he said, I hate to admit it. Like, I feel bad admitting it, but I just can't picture God as anyone who doesn't look like a grandpa. And I thought, okay. And then he said, like, you know, Sistine Chapel God, Morgan Freeman God, like, old and male, I guess. I just can't get past that image It's like, does that make me racist or shallow? I don't want to be racist or shallow, but I just, once I saw another image, I couldn't get past that and enjoy the rest of the story. We had a really good talk from there. We had a really good talk about images of God and and about art and expression and about racism and about our preconceived notions and and about our need for an image to hang on to, an image you know, to talk to when we're praying. I'm going to guess most of you have some idea in mind when you pray to God of, of who you're praying to. Those images, they can be important for us. We came together to understand how easy it is to, in that desire, that quest to have something that we know to to, to talk with God, some image that we can hang on to, how easy it is to begin to box in God with our images. We talked about how, how we have this desire to explain away the mystery to, to find answers, but when, when we do that, right, when we do that, how that does create, make the, the Bible, make our image of God even an idol for us. Later in, my, in that conversation, my friend asked, he said, do you know, as we have this conversation, do you think do you think we really see each person as created in God's image? Because he said if, if we did, then, then God would be much bigger than we can imagine because it looked like, like some version, some amalgamation of all of us or some, some image that celebrated the diversity of all of us. Or, he said, or are we more tempted to paint God in our own image to make God look like us? And then he asked another question. He said, how do we even talk about God? How do, we, how do we even visualize God who we know is beyond language and beyond understanding and, and beyond comprehension? Like, where does that even begin? 
As I reflected later on our conversation and his questions, I heard another question underneath that, the question we asked today, like, why must God be mysterious? Can we ever be okay with that mystery, with a, with a God who will never fully know or understand? Why? Is, is there importance? Is there a reason that God doesn't just fully reveal what God looks like to us? I think about it. We live in a culture that likes answers. How many of you like having answers? Yeah, all right. Almost all our hands goes up. We, we like to be right. We like black and white. We like things to be fully resolved. We seek out experts and psychologists and even pastors, right? Because we want, to, we, want, we want them to give us answers. We don't like the words, I don't know, or wait and see. I didn't like those answers as a kid. I still don't like them now, right? We like TV shows and, and movies that, that, that have all the problems, all the, all the issues wrapped up in the end and have a happy ending. Disney, like, figured this out and has made millions on having nice, neat endings for us, right? And let's be honest here. Even our mystery novels, this entire genre of literature, right? We call them mystery novels, but by the end, the mystery has been solved, It'd be better to call them, you know, like solved mystery novels. And it's this culture that likes answers and knowledge over mystery and, and waiting. We can relate, I think, to a few of the disciples in one of, one of our Advent texts. It's from the Gospel of Mark. And, uh, and in Mark's Gospel... We meet the disciples, and, and I think we can understand where they're coming from. They've, uh, they've been following Jesus for a while now, and they've, they've come to Jerusalem, and they are expecting big things to happen, right? They're with Jesus in Jerusalem, and they've been, they've been thinking about this moment. They've been excited about this moment. That they're following who they believe is going to become the Messiah, and there are all kinds of promises related to that. And uh, and they walk into Jerusalem, and, and some things happen, and then one day they're walking along, and they're walking within sight of the temple on the hill. And a few of the disciples, they say, wow, look at that temple. Isn't it magnificent? And Jesus says to them, it's all going to be destroyed. Stone by stone, every bit of this is going to be destroyed. And we pick up the story here in, in Mark 13, verse 3, and this is what Mark tells us. He says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are to be fulfilled? The disciples, they're, they're there. They're realizing that things are about to, about to start happening, about to change, and they want to be in control. They want to be part of it. They want to know the plan. They want to know how it's all going to, how it's all going to play out. Does that sound familiar? Right? Or desire to know how it's all going to play out. They want answers. They want details. They want control. Jesus, he answers this, their question. Which I got to tell you, what's a pretty grim picture of what lies ahead. He says, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be beaten beaten in the very synagogues where you'd, you'd think you'd be accepted. He says there are going to be 
There's going to be calamity ahead. There will, be, there will be leaders who claim to know all the answers, but they're going to be false teachers. They're going to be betrayals even within families. And then he says this in, in Mark 13, 24 to 25, but in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah here with an image of the world falling apart, the symbolism for, for just darkness coming upon one's life. Pretty grim, right? It's not without hope, though. In Mark 13, 26 and 27, Jesus goes on, he says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And He will send His angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. At this point, we, we could probably feel the disciples' desire for more clarity. They're like, okay, that, that sounds great, God, but, but what, like, can you give us more details? Because even as we read these visions of what's going to happen today, I don't know if you've just been reading through Mark 13 or through the, through the Gospel of Mark, but often when we get to these, we're confused. It's not like Jesus' other teachings. It's, it's grim and, and foreboding, and it's mysterious, and it's filled with, with imagery, and we, we're like, what does this mean? Jesus, if you, could just, like, if you could just give us some certainty here, some really clear signs, that would be, that would be helpful. And Jesus continues, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. And then a few verses later, he says, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. The disciples have asked the same kinds of questions we ask today in the midst of the uncertainty and the trials of our lives. Jesus, can you just give us a clear sign so that we understand? Jesus, can you just give us the instructions we need so we can be in control of this situation? But we might notice Jesus, Jesus responds not by dispelling the mystery, or clearly answering the questions, but with instructions to watch and be alert. In the midst of the uncertainty, he doesn't say, here is, here's, here's clear, clear signs. He says, pay attention. I'm always amused when, um, when we read a like the next Christian prognosticator's um, uh, uh, prediction of the end times. 
you know, we see these in the news every once in a while, and, and you know, it's another group, and they've, they've looked through the Bible, and they have, uh, they have figured it out, and this is when the world is going to end, and they're inviting everybody to be ready with them. Someone says, our, our group has, has read the Bible, and, and we found a clear answer. It's going to end on this date. And I always want to ask, like, I'd love to be in the room with them and go, um, what about these words of Jesus and Mark made you think that you were going to know the exact date? Like, it seems to me like he says, we're going to have to live with this, this mystery. We're going to have to live with anticipation. More seriously, though, like, we do worry about the future. It's part of who we are. We worry for ourselves. We worry for our children. We'd like to know what's going to happen. Some of us worry about the end times sometimes. As a pastor, I, I get questions every, every once in a Every once in a while, and, and people will be like, Pastor, could it be that these are the end times? And then, um, unfortunately, it's always predicated on something happening in the world, right? President Obama is, 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 uh, is now, has been elected, and, and people are saying he's the Antichrist. Could this be the end times? And then, you know, like four years, eight years later, President Trump has been elected, and people are saying he's the Antichrist, and, and might these be the end times? Right? And then earthquakes happen and floods happen and, and all those things are in the Bible and people are like, could this be, could this be the end times? And, and this is my answer. And uh, if somebody asks you or you're in a Bible study and this question comes up, you're welcome to borrow this answer. This is my answer each time. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. After a good pause, I, I share this. I, it's not ours to know. For me, Jesus makes pretty clear that it's, it's not ours to know. And the other piece is, Jesus invites us not to worry about it. If you want to be ready for the end times, if you want to be ready for the, for the next coming of Christ, Jesus says, you know how to do it? Just devote yourself to live as a follower of me. And then you don't have to worry about it, because I'm going to be walking with you in that walk. Jesus, Jesus invites his followers to realize they don't have to have all the answers. To realize they can let go of control because he is with them. He is with us. And his teaching is there for us. His words. He invites them to, to stop thinking that they've got to control everything to embrace the mystery of God, even as they find a path through that uncertainty, holding on to the words that He's given them. Right? I think Jesus invites His followers to, to live in and through that uncertainty, knowing that, knowing that we'll never see the whole picture, but that's okay because we know that God holds the whole picture. And Within that picture, God is holding on to us. Despite, despite what the world may tell us, the fulfilled life won't be discovering all the answers that you think you need to know. Does that mean we should stop searching or reading the Bible? Absolutely not. But it means realizing that the fulfilled life that we think will come if we just 
If we just know all the answers, if we just have more control, that will lead to the fulfilled life. It's, it's a myth of our world. And I know, I get it. Like, my family is in a place right now, and, and some of your families are in a place right now where you just wish you'd have more answers. You just wish that you'd have signs and, and clarity. But if, if we spend all of our time in, in that wishing, then the pain just gets worse as opposed as opposed to what Jesus is saying in this passage and, and throughout his, his words, right? Because the truth is, the answers may or may not come. And the answers for this moment may or may not lead to more peace. But instead, the fulfilled life can be discovered as we learn to embrace the mystery of God and then enjoy what God shows us along the way. It's almost an alien concept to us, but it's really what Advent is all about. Instead of trying to find the, all the answers and to, to hold control of the world, the answer that Jesus gives is to give control to God to let go. And in that uncertainty to to watch and see what God will do. In that seeking and searching to realize that God keeps showing up. You remember our question? It's like, why must God be mysterious? Why must God be mysterious? If, if we think about this, we might realize that if, if we knew all the answers, if we were always in control of every detail, then the reality is life would have no wonder, no surprises, no, no majesty, no beauty that defied explanation. If we were fully in control, if we knew everything, right? if we knew everything that God had outlined for each one of us, we'd just be puppets in, in a divine play that had no plot twists and, and no surprises and no spontaneity, no real manifestation of, of the life that we seek, of the joy that we want to know. Instead, right, we have a God that can take us to places we've never been, who can lead us on an incredible journey of discovering things we don't already know. We have a God who, who surprises us, a, a God who, who can come to us one day as a, as a father who forgives when we, when we need forgiveness and, and can come the next as a mother who holds us tight in times of grief or, or pain or hurt and the, the next a, a deep booming voice that calls us to pay attention to what God is doing in the world and then a, a soft whisper that the, the Holy Spirit speaks to us to breathe and relax and make it through the moment, and then a spirit that, that guides us in, in moments of decision or a spirit that invites us to look back and see that God was with it in and through the midst of it all. And as we embrace that mystery, we come to know that God is at, at the same time beyond any of these images. And the true gift, at the same time present to us through all of them, Why must God be mysterious? Because it's in that mystery that God is, 
that God is God. So, we're in this season of Advent, and in today's world, right, Advent means Christmas. <laughs> right, the world is, is ready to celebrate Christmas, right? We, we jump there. We want to rush to the end of the story. Jesus is coming. We want to rush to the end of the story where Jesus becomes, becomes like us and then offers us the gift of life eternal with God. This is an ending we can embrace and should embrace. Yet Advent, this season in the church, it's actually a time to pause and realize we can't control every detail of how the story unfolds. Advent is an invitation to wait and see, to name the parts of our story that we don't understand to give those moments of our life that we don't understand, those things in our life we don't understand, to to give them to God. And then knowing the end of the story, we're invited to keep watch, to be alert, so we can see God's love breaking in each and every day. That's the beauty of this season, this opportunity to watch and, and see So what do we do when life seems out of control and uncertain? What do we do when the, when the future seems to be shifting around us? Well, Jesus says, be alert. Keep watch. Trust me. So this is our Faith Fit Challenge this week, our, our invitation. With this invitation from Jesus, it's, Let's take a minute this week just to pause and wonder, right? What I want to invite us each to do this week is light a candle and put it in a room, and, and if it helps to, to focus, turn the lights out in the room so you're just, you're just focused on that candle. And focus on that candle and watch, watch that flame dancing, right? A miracle in itself. And then in prayer, Just begin with the words, I wonder, and complete the sentence. Share with God whatever is on your heart that causes wonder or or questions. Don't think about it too much. And when you lay it out there, I wonder why this is happening in my life. When you lay it out there, don't try to to solve it. Don't try to to find answers. Just answer. Just step more deeply into the wonder. Step more deeply into this truth that God is with you in that moment. Just share your awe and your questions and your wonderings with God. And in the awe and the questions and the wondering, be aware of God's presence. In the wondering and the awe and the questions, know the majesty and the beauty of a God who is beyond what we can describe or capture, and yet in Jesus promises to be fully present in each and every moment. Embrace that mystery. Know that truth. And then even on the toughest days, Maybe most importantly, on the toughest days when things seem uncertain and the rug feels like it's being pulled out from under you, remember, Jesus doesn't promise that we'll have all the answers. 
But Jesus says, watch and pay attention because God is showing up. Wait and see what God can do. Amen.